Hello and welcome to Softcats Explain It podcast series. The year is flying by as fast as our episode counts, so welcome to episode four of season six. We've talked tech trends, data growth and security breaches already this season, and we have more topics to choose from than TikTok, but I promise we won't spy on you when listening. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Field Chief Technology Officer. We're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language. So the key is in the title, and on that note, I will introduce today's topic. ChatGPT, make me a podcast. Yes, I've asked an AI to make us a podcast, and this is the result. Just kidding, I don't trust technology, so we're doing it the old-fashioned way and having a chat. They say the old ways are the best, so let's go and get to it. To share some fabulous insights, I'm joined by Softcat's resident AI expert and account chief technologist, Andrew Hermerson, and the true pioneer of the cloud marketplace, Darren Sharp from our amazing friends at Microsoft. I'm so happy to have you both with us, and we're going to fire the first question to Andrew. What the hell is ChatGPT, and what is, in general, this chat AI stuff all about? Well, uh, thanks, Dean. I suppose I'd probably open with a statement that the biggest threat to all of us, all of our companies, is someone that's just like us, that's better at using tech. And this chat AI, large language model generative AI, is a a huge leap forwards in tech. So it's something we all need to embrace and get our heads around in order to maintain where we're at and enable to drive ourselves and our businesses forwards and where we're going. There's sort of three broad classifications, as far as I'm aware, and they're sort of artificial narrow intelligence, which is where we're at at the moment, something like Siri, something like ChatGPT. Then you've got general intelligence, and that's where we might get to, and the, the likes of Elon Musk, etc., are a bit concerned that we should just pause and reflect. And then you've got artificial superintelligence out there in the dim and distant future, and that will actually be created in part by us and general intelligence. So they're the sort of broad classifications of it. But back round to those main players that are out there at the moment, we've got Microsoft and OpenAI with a really tight joint collaboration. There's Google Bard you know, trying to find its feet and, and work out where it's going. And then we've got AWS with Hugging Face and some other uh, Lambda-related activity that's going on in the background. You know, Forging on, there's three big players there, but there's probably a 10, maybe a dozen capable players all fighting for position at the moment out there and around the the models themselves and how they work so the developer controls what um, information is available to these language models in order to do the work they create a lake of data to go for them to go and look at and do get trained on and have the information curated if you like around what they can what they can do where they can go what they can see and understand they convert that into zeros and ones they turn it into patterns and then a novel outcome is created so it's all about pattern matching it's a bit like a an author reading a bunch of books taking a bunch of really good ideas away from that going oh, i like that pattern that's a good result i like this pattern that's a good result merging those patterns to create their own new book so cross correlation of data and information to produce an output and and done by hug and face I mean, seriously, is that is that a real name or is that you <laughs> yeah. just made that up? No, there's genuinely an emoji is the name of the, of the AI, yes. Fantastic. So, so looking forward then, because this is now, this is happening now, we're, we're seeing this in our lives every single day. What are the advantages and equally disadvantages of using those types of technologies or those types of engines that you've described? 
it's still really early days you know it's the wild west out there people are still trying to find their feet and work out how to and not to use them but i think the one that jumps out at me is my artificial assistant someone that can help me be a better version of me right now with um answers to general queries you know, it sort of augments my own knowledge in order to take me to the next level. So I'm not starting at zero. I'm, I'm starting at 50 on my way to 100. Another way that we can use them is to lean into the, you know, robot process automation and, and machine learning that we've already become, that's already become fairly established, but it, it levels that up because it allows us to interact with that in a way that we couldn't do before. You know, for someone like Microsoft, for example, and all the Copilot announcements recently, people will get so much more out of the existing suite of productivity tools that are out there because they can interact with it in a way that they couldn't do before. And we'll be able to take that and focus it into all of the different businesses that we work in. So you know, people at Softcat will be able to get more out of the tools and, and processes that we've got inside our organization as well as anyone else. So you mentioned robot process automation. Explain a little bit about what that is, because obviously that, that that's something that's happening at the moment with you know, a lot of our customers certainly we're seeing. Yeah, so that's where you take an existing process, set of tools, and you put an artificial agent in place instead of a person. So instead of me having to go through a particular process or way of working in order to get uh, create an outcome, I can put a set of rules in place and an agent that will interact with inputs and outputs along that journey and do that job for me. You know, if a, a query comes in from a customer that requires a certain response, that could be auto-generated. If a document needs to go through a series of steps in order to become a completed version of itself, that could also be automated. They're very simple at the moment. And in most places are, like I said at the beginning there, they're being used to take an existing thing and get it done with automation rather than take an existing thing and work out how to redo it from scratch. Fantastic stuff. Darren, bring you in here. Andrew mentioned Copilot, Microsoft Copilot, and that that, that kind of, I would say, evolution and innovation with Microsoft. And um, from your perspective, working at Microsoft, where do you see that heading, that innovation? Do you see it going further than just cross-correlating information and data and providing context as similar to what Andrew said? Do you see it doing more than that from a, from a Microsoft perspective? Yeah, uh, such a great question. I'll be brutally honest, Dean, and say I'm probably not the generation that's going to be able to answer that. Yeah, similarly me at the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, as as much as that's quite embarrassing, isn't it? it? You know, it's it's going to be everywhere in a considered and guardrailed way, I think. But it's going to be everywhere in everything that we do. You know, within Microsoft, as much as I'm relatively new to the business, what I've been really excited about here is it's it's really about the platforms and the business value that comes from those platforms. So actually, what I think we've got here is the chance to well as, as Satya our CEO says it's the what is the second IT innovation in his lifetime that's you know that's going to be you know that that life changing. Um so I think the short answer is it's we're we're only as Andy's just said it's gonna we're right at the beginning of this. I think the business tools that's going to come out this first and foremost are incredible. But in fact you know I was dealing with a I was talking to a startup um CEO a couple of days ago who was looking at just hosting his his cloud platform, this SaaS security platform. And he'd obviously been to, you know, a couple of other big cloud players. And I introduced him to a smart person on our side to come and talk about what we could do within Microsoft. And, you know, 
the cloud is the cloud. That that was pretty clear from the from the conversation. But actually, you know, while we were telling the tools that were available with the kind of Microsoft Founders Hub, you know, yes, you get Azure and all the stuff that goes around that, and you get all the good stuff that's within the Microsoft portfolio. But actually, access to ChatGPT and the OpenAI tool set. He was talking to his developers in the background while we were having this conversation. And his face kind of lit up when the guy was talking about, you know, what's possible within this platform within Microsoft Founders Hub. And he was he was saying, actually, we're going to come and build on Microsoft here because, you know, my developers in the background are saying they want access to it. They want to automate the delivery of proposals to salespeople. This is a small sales outfit. You know, they see... OpenAI and ChatGPT as being a key part of the Microsoft portfolio to help him automate his business processes and get his startup to accelerate really quickly. So long-winded answer, but I think there's some, that's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? So Darren, there's a couple of bits that, that I picked up on there that I want to revisit. So Microsoft Founders Hub, keen on understanding a bit more about that, and OpenAI or the OpenAI project that Microsoft, as I understand it, have invested a fairly significant amount of money in. And, and Andrew, I'll, I'll come to you on OpenAI and to kind of get an idea as to what that actually is. So we'll start with the Microsoft uh, Founders Hub. Um, what is that, Darren? So, um, I mean, Founders Hub is is about helping early stage startups get the best from our platform capability. So it's a set of tools that up and coming software companies can come and help build out their business processes with Microsoft. So it, it starts with the cloud infrastructure, but actually, you know, it's a it's a set of really valuable things that we may take for granted, you know, like dynamics, like the office suite, but then access to things like LinkedIn and and then it obviously goes into the more advanced tools, what we've been talking about today, things like the OpenAI service. And that's really going to enable early stage startups to innovate at speed. And you know, you bring that into the rest of the, of the Microsoft platform that we've, you know, we've kind of brought to bear in this set of business tools. And actually, you've got a really powerful um, ISV startup play, a software company startup play. That is, you know, a, a, a sandbox, a toolkit. You know, we're not being prescriptive about, you know, how you go and build, but, you know, we recognize that this is not just about a cloud platform. It's actually helping innovation happen at speed. So so Founders Hub, as much as I probably haven't done a great job of that, there's experts that sit alongside me that are much smarter than me that understand the mechanics of, you know, that onboarding process. You know, but the calls that I've been on so far, really exciting way to get started with your business in the cloud with Microsoft and our partners that sit around that like Softcat. Good stuff. Andrew, let's go to the open AI piece. I mean, what is that? It, as, as I understand, it underpins a lot of what is happening in that chat GPT world um, and, other, and other platforms that have been developed around it. Is that fair? Yeah, so I th- it, they're similar models with different sets of information behind them and potentially different algorithms over the top. So at the surface, the piece that we interact with, you could have a browser-based interface. Um, you could have an application-based interface that you can effectively have a conversation with in order to get your job done. And that could be creating a document, creating a PowerPoint. Um, it could be booking a flight. It could be doing all sorts of different things. And behind the scenes, those algorithms and that chat interface are diving deep into that great big enormous pool of data, which has got a bunch of different patterns in it. And those patterns are being pulled together in order to create responses. Last time I was asked this question, the AI is is uh, thinking, let's say, this kind of response was given to the person that asked it and they liked it. They said that that was a good answer. So 
as the models were trained, they were getting the thumbs up and thumbs down, the ideal answer was being selected. All of that information was bringing to the surface the patterns that were correct answers to questions or similar questions to the ones that were being asked. And, and that's really all it's doing. It's going into a huge amount of information and then pulling to the surface the thing that it believes is most appropriate to your question, to the task or query that you've asked it. It is brute force compute. It's not thinking like we would. It is just, um, it's got a much more broad set of information available to it in its general sense at the moment. But I think we'll start to see domain-specific AIs start to become more popular. You know, you'll have a legal one, you'll have an, um, one for accounting, you'll have one for sports, let's say, where they're, they're trained on a less general set of data, which is effectively the internet at the moment, let's say. Um, you'll start to see law firms just focusing in on the information they've got in their case files for their clients and their customers. And, and the the responses they get will be much more tailored to the, the correct audience and to the task that's being done. And their experts, their fee earners, will be able to really get a lot more value out of that than they would out of something like ChatGPT, although they're working in very similar ways. But behind the scenes, the data is different. It's not general, it's specific. So almost private versions of what's available open today being built for business or specific industries that's relevant for them using the same kind of engines to use existing data sets or new data sets and pull those things together. That's kind of what you're describing, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So let's say instead of using the general version, I'm using a domain specific one for my organization. I can give that extra context and information a bit like the Microsoft Graph does with Copilot. The AI can know what my security permissions are. It can know what I'm allowed to see in my organization's data set. It can know if I'm allowed to say yes or no to a particular activity, to deploying an environment, let's say, or to buying a piece of software, or uh, to anything really you can think of. Those more internal focused specialized AIs will deliver huge amounts of value that really I think is, at the moment it's quite unknown because they're, they're very, very early, even though uh, you know the general kind of chat AI stuff is still actually quite early itself. So you mentioned there things like software buying and 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 using it for going potentially in that direction. Darren, do you see this being in the Microsoft world or just generally the the procurement world? Of, and you mentioned the the hub earlier, which obviously talked about startups and you know I, I'd assume in that case software vendors building in the Microsoft cloud, obviously trying to build more applications that people can use um, and services customers or businesses can buy uh, through, say, marketplace. Do you see that the um, these kind of models, AI models being used to um, shape, recommend, do a lot of the uh, advisory work to a point on giving us information to make decisions? I mean, let's face it, in the marketplaces that we use in a consumer world, that's kind of happening to a point with emails that come to you after stuff you've bought, et cetera. But do you see it being a bit more intuitive and a bit more developed over the next few years in that space? I think it's got to, hasn't it? And, and that's super exciting as we, it's driving simplicity with complexity. I, that's a really odd way to put it. This is getting more complicated, but for us as consumers and you know the way we um, integrate with, the way we interact with commerce platforms, it's about simplification, isn't it? If you look at everything you know, that we consume in our everyday lives, it's always been about really simplification if you look at the bones of it. And I think this is a really natural next step. You know, I, I know as much as, you know, I'm I'm not party to sort of extended roadmap into where this is going to go. 
you know, look at how quickly Microsoft have brought to bear, um, you know, the the open AI services within Azure across things like um, across things like Bing um, and the rest of the platforms that are available. I think it's a natural next step that this is going to go into the business co- commerce platforms and really drive that simplification. If we take forward how we consume video, the rise of Amazon.com, you know, the, the fact that now these digital software marketplaces could be augmented by um, some form of recommendation engine that could be built on these cognitive platforms, I think it's really exciting. I think to Andy's point just there, you know, how these models are trained, how they are, how they use data and, and put guardrails around that, I think are things that we've got to be really careful with to give people the, you know, the comfort that, you know, there's not just, not just whole wild sharing going on everywhere, but short answer is yes. I think, you know, it's a natural next step, isn't it? We are, we are going through simplification and, and this is a fantastic tool to augment that. Darren, I think you've, you've hit now on the head there, which is what is the job to be done? I mean, you've heard me say that, you know, in the past, but the Clay Christensen quote, if we take the outcome the customer is after and then take a step back and look at the technology that's available to us right now here today and what might be available to us around the corner and then redraw how we get to that outcome, we will create the simplest, best, fastest solution for the customer, generating more value for them and for ourselves at the same time. It really is a a reflection moment, inflection moment, where we, we need to spring off into what's possible next. Yeah, I like that. I think working backwards from that customer outcome is absolutely where we've all got to be thinking, isn't it? And, you know, you, you're right, that that really does need reworking, carefully reworking to make sure that we're getting towards those best outcomes. We know that we know that customers are changing the way they buy and build. You know, they most customers want to be buying rather than building now. They don't necessarily want to be building from the ground up with cloud tools. Um, you know, they want to be buying a ninety-five percent best fit solution. But what is that solution? How does that how does that get recommended? What's the adjacencies within existing portfolio? Um, all those things we've got to work through. Yeah. So, Darren, I think if you look at the uh, the customer journey to that outcome that we were just talking about, I can use an AI to help me research the solution. I could potentially use an AI to help me buy the solution. I could help me use. I could use an AI to help me train and you change with the solution to deploy it into my environment. I could potentially use AI to help me with the operation of the solution. I could help it uh, use an AI to help me with the dealing of support for the solution. The return on investment from the solution goes up layer by layer by layer by layer as a result of introducing this technology. And I'm really genuinely excited about um what this could mean to to me as a customer, I put myself back in my customer's shoes and get really excited about what I could do with something like this. So everything you said there, excitement, it's kind of uh, the way of the future, it's going to drive certain things and it's going to be really amazing or positive. Um, but Darren, you mentioned guardrails, you mentioned kind of data, these these things that are organizations and people need to be protected in much more in a much more effective way so to bringing that into as we always do the dangers the fear factor what are the dangers of using the technologies that you're describing these models that you're describing because it isn't all plain sailing and exciting is it i think some of the risks are around reacting to this too slowly 
not evaluating the risk correctly as the space matures. It is something we all need to be paying attention to on a regular basis. It's not, let's come back to this in three months. It's a, has this moved? how much has this moved on in two weeks? One of the risks for end customers, I think, is, is being, for us, having incorrect information shared with them as though it's correct. You cannot yet really trust and believe 100, 100% the answer that comes back to you from one of these engines, even if it's a domain-specific one. There's still very early days in learning on it. There is also a risk around accidental information disclosure through one of these tools. So if you're using a free tool that you've signed up to that's giving access to the information, the queries that you put into it, to the researchers behind the scenes, then you could breach an NDA without really thinking about it or realising it. And I think there's a risk there too. There's also some ethical considerations. Should people know they're talking to an AI? I think I personally, I would like to know I was talking to an AI, but you know that's very much up for debate. And the, the data you're putting in, the, the questions you're putting in, if it's an open platform and not a domain, you mentioned a domain connected or domain specific. Um, and we might cover that in a minute to describe what that is. But if it's an open platform, because people are using this, you know, uh, so much since, uh, well, there's certainly this year in, in 2023, chat GPT has kind of flown quicker than a lot of platforms and applications that are being used out there. So the information that's being put in, something you mentioned earlier, it's learning and it's understanding more context, the more it gets. But that information that it's collecting, where does that information go? Who stores that information? And, and who, at that point, who owns that information? Well, that information is going into the training data, into that data lake as parameters um, and extra information for the model that's being trained. So, you know, if that was Jasper or OpenAI or AWS, whoever it was, my query to them goes into their platform and stays there. The information that, that I put in as my question will stay there. Whether I liked or disliked the answer that came out will stay there. And that information is available to the researchers and the development teams within that organization. So if I put some patient or customer information into that as a query, that's gone from my control. You know, that information has left my building and is now no longer under my uh, security, uh, you know, disclosure control, etc. So you have to be really mindful about what information from a business perspective you put into it and how you use the platforms specifically. And certainly Microsoft in Microsoft world, you know, we mentioned a few of the uh, technologies and innovation there. Darren, I'm not sure if this is something you, you can answer, but are we saying that, you know, if you've got Microsoft 365 and all the stuff that we're all using, Microsoft Teams, these are things that are common now in most organizations. And these technologies like Copilot, I'd assume are going to be incorporated into that platform in some form. Um, are we saying that at that point, if you're connected to your own domain, your own, you know, we'd log in and you connect to your softcat.com or microsoft.com, the data stays within that sphere as part of what Microsoft are, are building? Is that, is, that, is that kind of what we're going to see, do you think? I, I think you've got, I, th I think as Andy was saying, you've got to be complicit as part of setting those guardrails in the knowledge that, you might get a better experience with some broader sharing and broader access to other data sets. But, you know, as Andy was saying, we've got to be sure that, you know, the right guardrails are in place to ensure that we're not exposing sensitive data to the outside world. So, Dean, I think it's, I think it's a balance. I think it's based on use case. And I think there's a lot of experimentation still to be done. Actually, you know, there's, there's a lot more value coming out of the innovators that are using maybe 
I don't know. It depends how you view that. How you view that data set. You know, I'm looking at some of the examples that have come to bear really quickly. There's a really super use case from an organisation called Mood Mentor that's used ChatGPT to understand employee mood and well-being and assess stress levels and provide interventions around and, and advice around mental health. It's these things that maybe, you know. Do, do we, if we look at the depth of that, is that exposing, is that recording and taking that data? And do we need to keep that closely guarded or is that something we should be sharing? And could we get better value out of using that more broadly? So the, the point I'm trying to say is, Dean, it's a bit of a woolly answer, but, um, you know, security is, of course, tantamount to what we're doing. And it's got to be, this has got to be brought to bear really carefully. But I think we need to be mindful of not slowing the innovation. Yeah, from what you described, there's almost two tracks. You've got information that can be put into open platforms where researchers can learn to the betterment of society. And that's kind of in a positive light. You want to have more information to be able to build context, to be able to give not just better answers, but just to learn more about how things are working. And that's more open and we want that to be shared. And then the second track, I'd say, is organizations that are looking to use engines, much to what similar to what Andrew mentioned earlier, to improve how they do business, but to protect that data and those crown jewels, if you will, more effectively. And that's when you stand up, a, you know, an open AI service, you know, chat GPT or whatever it may be, that your data is absolutely, you know, with within that um, secure zone that you're going to set up. That's not something, you know, you you are building your own model there effectively. That's not something that's ever going to be exposed. Um, you know, that makes total sense. And Andrew, do you think businesses and people using it understand that that they're that you know that their information that they put in through you know, running fast and looking to innovate quicker is, is being used or could be used for open research or just, you know, open use? No, I don't think that very many of them do. And I think that brings us on to training of this of the teams that you've got in your, in your business. And, and it's really important to, uh, in line with evaluating that risk, as we spoke about earlier on, have a look at the things that could go well, the things that could go badly, and keep your teams updated on the opportunity and the risk that's out there as it moves and evolves you know a series of vlogs or podcasts you know internally focused saying this is how you should and shouldn't be using these these tools because we want to embrace the innovation that's there we want to embrace being able to rethink things and do things in different ways and that creativity will be sparked by people experimenting with it but you need to have that done in a safe and sensible way yeah so do we see this as almost a, a new space race then uh, across the interweb with all these vendors you mentioned earlier um <laughs> who can go faster who can get there quicker that kind of stuff and who can you know who, who's got the biggest wallet to spend on it there's definitely loads of positioning going on out there it's almost like uh you know publicizing a film or or an entertainment venue or something where people are going hot off the press we're doing this thing but actually we're starting to see a lot of people not thinking about that point we made earlier about they're not thinking about what the job to be done is. They're just going, we have this chat engine, let's come and have a look at this, it's fantastic. But they're not thinking about the value they're delivering to me as a customer. So actually they are potentially tarnishing their brand rather than enhancing it. And I think to, to Darren's point earlier on about the Founders Hub, there are loads of companies out there now doing what they have already done for many, many years, saying to themselves, how can I lever this new technology? How can I make use of this moment and do something I wasn't doing before or do something additionally to what I've, I'm doing right now? And they're becoming ISVs in their own right. 
And so you'll have um, a marketing company, a law firm, a manufacturing company that becomes an independent software vendor that then starts to have to look at marketplace, that then starts to have to look at how all of this fits into their general cloud center of excellence and approach to FinOps. And it's it's a it's a a cycle that needs to be gone through in order to make the most of this moment and then to keep making the most of this moment. I hope that made sense. Well, well it, it does. And, and you talk about the moment. I mean, you mentioned right at the beginning, sort of three stages of AI, you know, narrow intelligence kind of, which is pretty much what we've described on this podcast today. That's kind of where we are today. And that's going quick. That's moving fast. And then you talked about general intelligence. I think that's the term you yeah. use, which is that bit that by the sounds of it, people are a little bit skeptical of moving into. But what, what amazes me is this, th- this third bit, this super intelligence, that scares the, the bejeebas out of me. I'm not sure about anybody else <laughs> where, you know, um, yeah, Skynet, et cetera. I've talked about that previously on, on the podcast. Um, we start moving into, you know, augmented robots in houses and, you know, robots doing jobs, et cetera, for us. So are we are we really heading in that direction as part of this, you know, kind of evolution? I'm definitely a cup half full. I want to embrace this this new world, and you know, I support our new AI overlords in helping me get more out of life and, and get and get things done faster. Uh, you know, I'd like to think that we'll be able to, through that brute force compute piece, solve loads of problems that we probably already know how to solve, but it would just take us years to do so. We can use some of these engines and some, you know that general intelligence moment to create a load of new inventions to solve a load of you know medical issues and diseases and, and all of that kind of good stuff and yes maybe also to have a robot cat that's very exciting love that i'm allergic to real cats so that'd be good for me <laughs> on that note we're going to call this one a day and i want to thank you both for joining me on this uh, fascinating episode and this amazing subject of ai which we're all living and breathing every day so thank you for joining me i hope you enjoyed it and um Thank you, our audience, for listening. And please remember, we like to hear from you. So why don't you leave us a review as it goes a long way to helping us to make this better. We will be back soon with another episode of Explain It. So keep listening. Listening.